0: You're listening to 88.9 WDBM. This is Impact Sports. I'm Cameron Billis. This is the fourth edition of The Horsepower. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. 2014 semesters just starting. Happy to be bringing your Pistons news some more here in the new year. And uh, we'll do a quick Pistons recap over the past week. Then I'll preview what's up ahead for the Pistons and take a look more specifically into Team events such as Mo Cheeks versus Josh Smith, is Andre Drummond all star worthy? How's Rodney Stuckey doing in the six man race, and a whole lot more. So let's get right into it. Pistons versus Knicks. Uh, The Pistons lost 89 to 85. And you know, the Pistons constantly seem to find a quarter where they just completely melt down defensively. In this game it was in the third quarter when they got outscored 32 to 17, a bright spot for the Pistons was Josh Smith who scored 21 points, had 12 rebounds, but also had eight turnovers. Obviously needs to cut that down. Only two players on the Pistons scored more than 15 points and that was Smith and Greg Monroe. Pistons continue to struggle from downtown. In this game, they shot 3-for-19 from three-point range, and this was their fifth loss in a row. Then they played the Toronto Raptors at home, where they lost 112-91. to Toronto is actually one of the hottest teams in the league right now. They traded Rudy Gay a few weeks ago to the Sacramento Kings and have just been unbelievable since then. They're currently in third place in the Eastern Conference and, you know, a team that everyone thought was going to tank for Wiggins is now fighting for a playoff spot. Again, the Pistons would lose this game one twelve to 91 Would make that their sixth loss in a row. Again, they were outscored in the third quarter, 34-20. to Rodney Stuckey made his return from an injury in this game, scored 14 points. Brandon Jennings was the only player who scored over 20 points. And the team, again, from three, struggled, four from 16. And, you know, the Pistons have been really bad, from the free throw line too, and this game shot 19 from 35. Those are horrific numbers, something that you'd see more in college ranks than the professional. Pistons hosted the 76ers in their next game, where they would end their six-game losing streak and beat the 76ers 114 to 104. They outscored the 76ers by 18 points in the second half, so they had a big comeback. Josh Smith scored 22 points, had 13 rebounds in 43 minutes of play. Singler, and Bynum had big minutes off the bench, 30-plus each, broke their losing streak, as I just said, and the win brought them to 15-22 and 22 on the season. Most recently, the Pistons hosted the Suns, and in a hard-fought battle, they won 110-108. to 108. They outscored the Suns by 12 points in the final three quarters. Uh, Channing Frye for the Suns had 21 points. The Suns were without star guard Eric Bledsoe, who recently had knee surgery. He'll be out for a while. Brandon Jennings scored 18 points, or excuse me, had 8 points, 18 assists. 16 of those assists came in the first half. Very good game for him. Pistons shot 3 for 17 from 3 point range. Jennings was 0 for 5. Obviously, can't get much worse than that. Josh Smith, though, shot 1 from 1 from downtown, and his 3 came at the very end of the game to give the Pistons a lead. Uh, eventually, the Suns would come back and tie the game, but then Josh Smith would make a last-second shot to give the Pistons the everlasting lead. So he had a very good game. And, you know, this the, the fact that he only took one three-point shot the whole game is huge. If he can control his urge to shoot long, long-range jump shots, the Pistons will thrive because they go as Josh Smith goes. In this game, Smith had 25 points and 11 rebounds. It just it seems like whenever he plays well, the Pistons play well. And whenever he has an off night, the Pistons have an off night. So that's something to keep an eye on as the season progresses. Upcoming, the Pistons will play the Utah Jazz. Trey Burke is the star of that Jazz team, and it brings up the question, should the Pistons have drafted him over Contavious Caldwell-Pope? Uh, Burke in- got injured during summer summer ball and missed a few games to start the season, but you know he's having a very terrific rookie campaign. So far, he's averaging 13 points per game, 5 assists per game, 3 rebounds, and 31 minutes of play. But he's only played in 26 games where Contavious Caldwell-Pope is averaging 7 points per game, 2 rebounds, and 24 minutes per game, and has played 10 more games than Burke at 36. You know, it's hard to determine what would have happened if the Pistons did take Burke. You can assume that they would never have signed Brandon Jennings because Burke would have been their point guard. I think Burke has more upside. He's the type of player where if you look at who the Pistons should have drafted five years from now, Burke could be a guy who is an all-star, where I see Pope can be a very good role player, very good defensively, but I don't think he has quite that scoring talent. I don't think he has the repertoire to become an all-star in this league. Doesn't mean he won't be a good player. Um... But I think Burke would have had more upside for the Pistons and they really could have used a point guard at the time. Burke showed tremendous leadership at Michigan. He won National Player of the Year. He took his team to the NCAA Finals against Louisville where they would eventually lose. He's a a great scorer and I think he's going to be a tremendous talent in this league. Utah is currently 12-26. and 26. They struggle to score points, and they're pretty below average on defense. Very young team. Derek Favors, Gordon Hayward, and Trey Burke are kind of Utah's big three. You know, not a lot of names that people will recognize. Uh, the biggest on that list would probably be Gordon Hayward, who, if you remember, was the star player of Butler, the original Butler Cinderella that lost to Duke in... Uh, the NCAA championship a few years ago, Gordon Hayward almost made a half-court shot to beat Duke, but it came just off the rim, and uh, that was that for that Butler team, and then he went pro, went to Utah, and, you know, he's a a very good player, he's slowly up and coming in this league to be the player that a lot of people thought he was going to be, you know, the only thing that's really hurting his game is the fact that he plays in Utah, not a very media-populated town. Uh, doesn't get a lot of coverage, especially since they're not that talented. But you know, he's a, he has a lot of upside still. The Pistons were 0-2 against the Jazz last season and have lost 14 of the last 15 against Utah in total. I think the Pistons should win this game. Uh, they need to be careful not to play down to Utah's level. They've struggled with that this year. The Pistons are a very talented team. On paper, they're one of the most talented teams in basketball, especially their front court with Smith and Monroe and Drummond, and they should win this game handily, especially since it's at home, and I would look for the Pistons to win this game. Next, the Pistons will play at Washington. The Pistons have lost two in a row to the Wizards. Again, the Wizards are also a very up-and-coming team. Excuse me, I mentioned earlier that Toronto was in third place. They're actually in fourth place. The Wizards are in third place at 16-19. and They're a very unselfish team. They rank 13th in assists, and they're very good on defense. They have the 10th best defense in the league. The Pistons have actually been better on the road than at home this season This season, and they should finally break through against Washington. They beat them in their regular season opener, but definitely look for the Pistons to win this game, kind of have a rebound and not lose three in a row to Washington. Now I mentioned how Washington's in third place. The Eastern Conference is an absolute embarrassment this season. Four out of the eight teams who would make the playoffs right now are under 500. The Pistons are currently in seventh place and if the playoffs started today would match up against the Miami Heat. Uh, their f- Pistons are five and two against teams in their division, 14-11 against Eastern Conference teams, two and two in games decided by three points or less, 9 and 11 decided by 10 points or more, and three and 10 against teams above 500. Uh, they are also winless in overtime, and two and eleven against Western Conference teams. So, now I also I want to take a minute to look at if the playoffs started today. I mean, obviously there's a lot of season left, but it's something for fun that we can do here. Miami Heat have won two championships in a row. I've mentioned this on my podcast before that I would love to see a Pistons versus Heat matchup. You have Andre Drummond, Greg Monroe and Josh Smith who would take up the front court obviously. And the Miami Heat struggle against teams that have a lot of size and and score in the paint. The Pistons are one of the best teams in scoring in the paint this season. I believe they rank second overall in the entire NBA. And you know, if you could find Josh Smith a way to defend LeBron James Obviously, you're not going to shut a guy like LeBron James down. But the Pistons have beaten the Heat this year in Miami. They have what it takes to beat the team. Now, Dwayne Wade was out that game, and obviously Dwayne Wade is a great talent. But, you know, with that matchup size, who did the Heat have to guard Andre Drummond, to guard Greg Monroe in the paint? You got Bosh, who is great offensively and is serviceable defensively, but he's nothing special. You have Chris Anderson, who sometimes struggles with foul trouble, can be a good shot blocker, but again, I don't think he has the talent to shut down Andre Drummond. So, you know, if the if the Pistons do end up getting a matchup like that, I don't think it's something that they would end up pulling out a series victory from, but I think that they could definitely give the Heat some trouble and take them to six or seven games. I think something... That's interesting is that the Pistons are much better on the road than they are at home, especially since they're one of the youngest teams in the NBA. Normally, a team that young plays better at home when they have their fans, you know, a group of people supporting them, whereas the, the pressure on the road of fans kind of bickering at you and yelling at you and, you know, the other teams all hyped up to play in front of their hometown. So very interesting. If the Pistons could bring out a victory. I mean, I think they would need two victories on the road to win that series. And could they do it? Obviously that has yet to be seen. A lot of roster moves could be made um, lots of time still. So obviously it's something to kind of have fun with now, but long way to go before the playoffs begin. Uh, I mentioned the Pistons front court and Monroe Drummond and Smith. And the question is, is change needed? Can those three continue to play together? And I don't think they can. I think Monroe or Smith needs to go because when Smith plays the small forward position, he is outside on the perimeter, obviously, because that's where he's supposed to be, and that's when he starts to settle too much from the outside. And, you know, when he's taking unwarranted jump shots without really setting up the offense and he's taking these early in the shot clock... Nothing good comes from it. His shooting percentage is abysmal. His three-point percentage is even worse. And, you know, he has a decent post game. So, if the Pistons could find a way to shit Monroe out, and I think that's much more realistic because, to be honest, who is going to want to take on Josh Smith's almost max contract? I don't think you can find a team that's going to want to do that unless you get another bad contract in return. But, you know, and Monroe has a lot of upside. He over the past few years, has led the league in double-doubles, and he has a great low post game. He's a terrific passer. Unfortunately, though, he's a huge liability on defense. The Pistons have one of the worst defenses in the league this year, and, you know, if you move Smith next to Drummond down in the paint, that increases your shot-blocking ability, that helps your interior defense tremendously, and if you could ship Monroe for a wing player, you know, I think that would help a ton, uh, a a three, a guy like Lual Dang who just got traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers would have been a great fit on this team. Obviously, that's not realistic anymore, but someone like that would have been a great person to target. Someone like Wilson Chandler on the Denver Nuggets, guy who can shoot the ball. He's a known three, good defensively. He'd be a good player to target. The Pistons are first in the NBA for most offensive rebounds per game, averaging 14.5 per game. One more... And uh, that number is one more per game than the second highest in the NBA. They're also second in the league in points in the paint. So obviously that big three is getting it done on offense. It's on defense where they're really struggling. And some of the young guys for the Pistons who they drafted this year in the second round, Tony Mitchell and Peyton Siva got sent down to the D-League over our winter break or uh, late December if you're not a student. Peyton Siva so far in five games is averaging 12 points per game and six assists per game. Tony Mitchell is averaging seven points, six and a half rebounds, and one and a half blocks per game. That's in six games. So that's a quick update on kind of how the younger Pistons, who aren't really factors in the NBA right now, are doing. It kind of went under the radar, especially the way that they finished December, but the Pistons had a much better end to the year than they had in November. They had three more wins. They scored four more points per game. Their three-point field goal percentage was up by 7%, which is incredibly hard to believe because they're still last in the league. And their rebounds per game went up by three. So Maurice Cheeks is doing a good job of slowly bringing his team up to speed, kind of getting their chemistry going. I don't think this team is where they need to be quite yet. Obviously, I think that kind of goes without saying. I think Cheeks could have done a better job of bringing them along faster. You know, On paper, a very talented team, this team always finds a way to play three quarters strong, and then there's always that one quarter where they just collapse and lose it. It's as if they don't know that there's four quarters in a game of basketball. I think that'll come with time. Mo Cheeks, the Pistons brought him in because he had head coaching experience. They thought that would be very helpful to a very young team and kind of a guy who's been there, done that would bring a a better mindset to this team, especially when they've gone with guys like John Kuster and Michael Curry who haven't had head coaching experience in the past. So they kind of wanted to steer in a different direction that way. Uh, And, you know, I want to talk more specifically about Andre Drummond and the debate of is he an all-star. Now, I looked up his ranks between him and other centers in the league, and his numbers are definitely all-star worthy. He ranks six in points per game, second in rebounds per game, And fourth, actually, out of all players in rebounds per game. Again, back to centers. He's second in field goal percentage, second in steals, fourth in blocks, and first in double-doubles. And very interesting statistic here. He is the highest number of rebounds per game from any center to ever play 20 years old or younger. Guys like Shaq, you know, some of the best centers of all time, Dwight Howard, Andre Drummond has better numbers right now than those guys did back when he they were his age. So, I mean, the amount of upside Andre Drummond has, I think are tops in the league, maybe behind someone like Damian Lillard or Anthony Davis, but Andre Drummond is going to be one of the best players this game has ever seen. His, his game is so raw. He has so much potential in the low post offense. They don't run plays for him. He just gets a ton of putbacks and effort. Effort points, but, you know, he's so athletic and so much fun to watch. Maurice Cheeks has to love being able to coach a guy like that. All right, Rodney Stuckey talked about this in my last podcast. He is still in contention for Sixth Man of the Year. Currently, he ranks second in points per game off the bench and is around four points behind Nick Young from the Los Angeles Lakers. One of the candidates who I mentioned last time, Isaiah Thomas, is actually in the starting rotation for the Sacramento Kings after the Kings traded uh, Grievous Vasquez and other pieces for Rudy Gay, so kind of helps Stucky a little bit. Long way to go. He's had some injury problems the last couple weeks, but he's slowly getting back into it, and the Pistons play a lot better when he's playing well. Uh, I also wrote an article, which you can check out at impact89fm.org backslash sports. Again, that's impact89fm.org backslash sports. That talked about the Pistons potentially trading Rodney Stuckey for Jeremy Lamb and other pieces. Uh you know, I it was interesting getting some feedback on that from some of the listeners that and readers that you know some people thought Stuckey's too good to be trading for such an unproven piece like Jeremy Lamb while others thought that there's no way Oklahoma City would trade one of their up-and-coming pieces for a guy like Rodney Stuckey. Some of the key points I talked about in the article were that Stuckey is on the last year of his contract, which expiring contracts in the NBA are some of the most valuable things uh, that GMs covet. Um, Jeremy Lamb has had an increased role with Oklahoma City, but they're a team that's trying to win now. And Stuckey can play the point guard position, the shooting guard position. He can come off the bench. And, you know, Russell Westbrook just had a very serious injury in Oklahoma City, and they could use a guy like Stuckey coming off the bench and relieving Reggie Jackson, um, who's now their starting point guard, very young. Stuckey would give them very good veteran leadership to go along with Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka. So, and, you know, from the Pistons' point of view a guy like Jeremy Lamb who could him and Caldwell Pope who can man the shooting guard and small forward position you have Pope who's more defensive minded guy and Lamb who's more the scorer you know obviously the Pistons want to make this playoffs this year i think if they gave Lamb an increased role from what he has now he could be a tremendous talent he's never really had a chance to prove himself as he's already been traded in the NBA from Houston to Oklahoma City as part of the James Harden deal. But I think he would look very good in the Pistons uniform, finally give him a chance to be one of the top two guys scoring wise, and I think I think the deal would be favorable for both teams. Uh some of the other pieces I had in the deal were the Pistons getting Kendrick Perkins who has a pretty big contract a few years left of that in Oklahoma City. So that's kind of giving Oklahoma City some cap space, and the Pistons, in return for taking on that big contract, would also get a first-round pick, where if the Pistons make the playoffs this year, they have to give their first-round pick to the Charlotte Bobcats to finish up that Ben Gordon trade a few years ago. So if that happens, and the Pistons took on Oklahoma City's first-round pick, that would kind of even things out especially since this is one of the deepest draft classes in years with Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Adrian Payne, kind of later in the first-round pick. He could be a tremendous talent. So the Pistons could definitely use a first-round pick, especially since they plan on getting rid of theirs to Charlotte once they make hopefully make the playoffs this year. I talked about the Pistons against the Wizards a few weeks ago and that loss that we had in Washington in one of my recaps last week. And a uh, big, big part of that game was that Maurice Cheeks had somewhat of a feud with Josh Smith. The team played arguably their worst game of the season. Um, Their first half performance was terrible, and Cheeks decided to sit Smith for the entire second half against the Wizards. It's somewhat interesting because Smith has been known to have feuds with some of his other coaches and guys like Mike Woodson and Larry Drew back in Atlanta. Now, Smith is the Pistons' highest-paid player. He's one of their most talented players, and to bench him, for an entire second half, says a lot about both his performance, the team's performance, and kind of how Mo Cheeks and Smith are getting along. Obviously, he didn't sit guys like Brandon Jennings and Andre Drummond because, you know, they've helped this team out a lot. So kind of says a lot about Smith's game and his personality, and I think Mo Cheeks was trying to send a message to both him and the team. And for him, a guy like Cheeks, who's a very quiet guy, doesn't say a lot, you know, to the media, is not a type of guy like Stan Van Gundy back when he was with the Orlando Magic. Towards the end of his tenure there with Dwight Howard kind of always had a lot to say. Um, and, you know, does Cheeks have what it takes to get the respect of his players? Uh, guys who are sort of uh, soft-mannered, you know, can sometimes struggle with that because the players just walk all over them. You know, it's different in professional basketball because these guys are getting paid to play you know they're at the level where they know they're good whereas college players you know they're still learning a lot more and you know college coaches can help get them to the next level where the NBA player is already there so it'll be interesting to see if Cheeks and Smith have any more feuds Uh, Brandon Jennings has been known to be a somewhat similar personality type so keep an eye on if Cheeks and Jennings ever have a feud themselves I think everything will work out fine. Uh, No other events like that have happened recently for the Pistons. So I think it was probably a one-time thing, but again, just something to keep an eye on. Now, looking at the team as a whole, more specifically, the Pistons, as I said, shoot the worst percentage from three in the entire league at 31%. They have the worst free throw percentage in the league at 66%, and good teams can't reach their ultimate potential unless their free throws percentage is improved you don't really see a that low of a percentage at the professional ranks that's that's definitely more of a college type thing uh if you look at John Calipari Derek Rose that team was unbelievable they almost went undefeated on the season but you know what ended up killing them in the championship game against Kansas was that they couldn't hit their free throws um so Obviously, that's something that needs to be worked on. So many points are left off the board when you can't hit the easiest shot in the game So, besides a layup. So definitely something the Pistons need to work on. Again, to continue with the Pistons' overall numbers, they're tied for the fifth-worst defensive team in the league based off points per game allowed. Excuse me, they're a very good offensive rebounding team, not a very good defensive rebounding team. And the Pistons are actually the fifth-best in the league at forcing steals so you know they have some bright spots defensively but they also give up quite a bit of turnovers themselves and that needs to turn around if the Pistons look to improve some individual leaders for the Pistons right now Brandon Jennings leads the team with 16 and a half points per game Andre Drummond leads the team with rebounds at 12 and a half per game Brandon Jennings has eight and a half assists per game, one and a half steals per game, which leads the team, and Andre Drummond again leads the team in blocks with around two. All right, I mentioned earlier that Luol Dang was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I want to talk more specifically about this trade because to me it was a little bit confusing. Luol Dang was traded to the Cleveland Cavaliers for Andrew Bynum and some draft picks. Now, uh Luol Deng Dang was a Chicago Bulls, so this is a trade that took place between two divisional opponents. Dang is 28. He's averaging 19 points per game, uh, around seven rebounds and four assists in 23 games this year. He is on the final year of his contract, so that's, that's why Chicago got rid of him. Now, when they took back Andrew Bynum, they had every intention in the world to just release him. Um, Andrew Bynum is one of the most talented centers in the league, but he has had some major problems staying focused and adding positives to the team that he's on. He was suspended from Cleveland for conduct detrimental to the team and this was the reason he was ultimately traded. His contract was non-guaranteed, which is why a team that traded for him could just cut him and save a lot of money. Now, I understand that the Bulls haven't had quite the year that they expected. You know, Derrick Rose got hurt very on Early in the season, and he's out for the year. Uh, Lual Deng's had some injuries himself, and the Bulls don't have quite a great record. But you know, if the playoffs started today, they'd still they'd still make it. You know, I I still think that they're a team that considers themselves a contender. So to make a trade like this just to free up money and to help them for the future doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, considering that you know, guys like Derrick Rose have said they don't want a rebuilding project. He wants to win now. Now, you could say that the money that they save could help them sign Carmelo Anthony in the offseason, and that is yet to be seen. Now, and they're getting good draft picks, but management obviously has a plan, and obviously I don't know what that is, but, you know, from the Cleveland Cavaliers aspect, I think they got a great trade here. Uh, you know, they gave up some first-round picks. Some argue that... They gave up a little too much pick wise, but you know Cleveland is in a very similar situation to Detroit. They're in a point where their fans are very unhappy with how their team's been playing lately, and they want to improve as much as possible as fast as they can. They have some talented guys like Kyrie Irving, Dion Waiters. Uh, their first round pick, Anthony Bennett, has struggled mightily this year, but. Still the first overall pick in the draft, so obviously he's somewhat talented. You know, they're in a position where they can make a playoff push too, and the Wild Dang very good defensively, very good offensively as well, and, you know, he could be a great complement to a guy like Kyrie Irving. You know, some aren't sure whether or not the Cavs will choose to re-sign Dang because LeBron James, of course, could be a potential free agent this season, and some believe it's either Miami or Cleveland for him so only time will tell what they do with that but I just thought the trade was was very interesting I I know if I were a team Andrew Bynum wouldn't really be a guy who I'd want to go after let alone give such a talent like Llewell Dang for so that was very interesting to see especially when you just cut Andrew Bynum so you pretty much gave up Dang for a few draft picks for a contending team I don't know if that's the smartest move we'll see what what they do with it but I just thought I'd take a look at that. Andrew Bynum, uh, as I said, was cut and is now free to sign wherever he wants. Now, he has earned so much money for being hurt, for sitting on the bench, for just for for doing nothing that helps a team at all. So, I you know, if I was a contending team, they're saying the Miami Heat might be interested in him. Yeah, they could use a big man, but do you really want a guy like Andrew Bynum on your team who just seems to, you know, kind of mess up everything where he goes? Um, the Heat have a great chemistry. They signed guys like Greg Oden and Michael Beasley this past offseason. And, you know, Beasley's kind of rejuvenated his career there. Oden's still recovering from his previous injuries. So I, I don't think that they should look to take on Andrew Bynum because I don't think anything good can come of it. And, you know, it's somewhat disgusting that, you know, these players can make so much money for doing absolutely nothing where you get hard working people who go to work every day, such as doctors or firemen or police officers, they get paid so little to do such more and put forth so much more effort in their jobs than what Andrew Bynum has. And this is true for all sports. You get guys like coaches who get fired and, you know, they get fired early in their contract because, They haven't produced at a level that the team considers adequate, but yet they still make money for the next few years for doing absolutely nothing to help that team. Millions of dollars. I think that obviously there's something wrong with that system. Obviously nothing is going to change about that system because, hey, if it works, if if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, I don't think anyone is kind of brave enough to stand up. You're not going to get cities that just completely stop watching sports because they think... It's not a proper system, and that's ultimately the only way to change things is if sports became incredibly less popular and fans just got fed up with the amount of money that these these players and coaches make. But obviously that's not going to happen, so it makes you laugh a little bit as how the players and coaches in this league can just get away with so much, the not doing anything and making so much money. Uh, again, you're listening to 88.9 WDBM Impact Sports. I'm Cameron Billis. This is the fourth podcast of the Horsepower, and you know I talked about I talked about All Star voting recently, and is Andre Drummond a legitimate candidate for the All Star game? You know, I'm looking here at the voting le- the vote leaders right now for the starting lineups, and I'll give you a quick rundown of that real quick in the Western Conference for the front court. Uh, your top five leaders are Kevin Durant, who is over 500,000 votes higher than the next highest, Dwight Howard. Uh, coming in at third is Blake Griffin. Fourth is Kevin Love, and fifth is LaMarcus Aldridge in the backcourt for the West. Kobe Kobe Bryant, who has played in six games this season, uh, because of injuries, is the leading vote getter for the backcourt in the Western Conference, and more than 150,000 votes higher than Steph Curry who comes in second place Chris Paul's in third place Jeremy Lynn is in fourth and James Harden is in fifth now in the Eastern Conference leading the front court uh, is LeBron James second comes Paul George Carmelo Anthony Roy Hibbert is fourth and Chris Bosh is fifth Andre Drummond comes in at eighth place with 120,000 votes uh, a little upwards of that in the backcourt, Dwayne Wade leads all Eastern Conference players, then Kyrie Irving, Derek Rose comes in at third, John Wall at fourth, Ray Allen at fifth, uh, and Andre Drummond is the only Piston to be somewhat in contention of a vote-getting spot. Miami Heat get a lot of love. Obviously, uh, if Ray Allen comes in at fifth in your backcourt vote, something's obviously wrong. Uh, you know, I've never been a fan of of fan voting when you have guys like in the past Yao Ming was always the leading vote getter obviously part of that is from his origin being from China but you know I think that the coaches of these games should choose the starters and ultimately who makes the team because you know it shouldn't be a popularity contest obviously the fans want to see their favorite players play but if a guy like Kobe Bryant, who's played in six games this year and won't even be able to play in the All Star game, when he eventually wins this voting contest, you know what? Why would why vote for him? Why make him eligible? Jeremy Lin is the fourth leading vote getter in the Western Conference. He's not an All Star. You know, guys like James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Tony Parker, Damian Lillard, Clay Thompson are all underneath him, and they have had much better seasons. Than Jeremy Lynn. You know, Lynn has over a hundred thousand more votes than James Harden. I'm sorry, that's not right. He's a good player, he's a fun player to watch, but in by no means is he an all star. Like in the front court for the Eastern Conference, Kevin Garnett is getting votes because of his name. Not because of his skill. There's no way Kevin Garnett should have forty five thousand more votes than Andre Drummond. I'm sorry. That that should not be happening. Um, you know, Ray Allen shouldn't be the fifth highest vote getter for the backcourt in the Eastern Conference. He's not he's a good player, has had a great career, a future Hall of Famer, best three-point shooter the league has ever seen, but this season he is not an all-star. And, you know, if he gets voted in, which I don't think he will, but if he does get voted in, I, I would be a little upset with that. I I think that you know the the whole vote system is just a, a a gimmick to try and get fans more involved. When in reality, the fans are gonna watch the game anyway. You know it's for some reason I don't truly understand because the NBA All Star Game is you know relatively boring, especially especially the All Star Weekend. You know the dunk contest has turned into such a joke. I can't even begin to tell you. I'll talk about that more. Uh, you know when it gets closer to the event. But, you know, guys getting five chances to complete a dunk. And, you know, it takes away from the excitement. When you see him miss four times and then he eventually does it. But, yeah, you know, said player gets straight 10s across the board. You know, it's not a perfect dunk. He missed it several times. So, you know, a few of my pet peeves uh, with NBA All-Stars and fan votes. All right. Uh, you're listening to 88.9 WDBM Impact Sports. I'm Cameron Billis. Quick reminder about the Pistons. Pistons are currently sixteen and twenty-two and few easy games ahead with the Jazz and the Wizards, a few very winnable games. After that, they'll face off against the Chris Paulus Clippers, as he suffered an injury. Um, you know, they'll still have uh Blake Griffin and the up and coming Darren Collison, who's playing terrific while Chris Paul is out. Doc Rivers, the new head coach there. So A lot of exciting things happening in the Pistons organization coming off probably their worst stretch of the season so far with that 6-game losing streak, but they've now won two in a row. They play the Jazz Friday night at 7.30 at the Palace of Auburn Hills, and they play the Wizards January 18th, so the night after, at 7 p.m. at Washington. A lot of stuff happening in the Pistons world. I'm here to cover it for you. Uh, Stay tuned for all Pistons news, Detroit sports news, msu sports news at impact89fm.org backslash sports i'm cameron billis thanks for listening